Hello, comrades, and welcome to the podcast you are currently listening to. I promise, this isn't a Russian invasion, just a temporary occupation. I'm Roberto, one of the hosts of the podcast, Czar Power. And I'm Brendan, the other half of the podcast. Together, we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. They will compete based on how well they fought, how successful they were in life, how much kompromat or blackmail they had on them, how handsome they were, and how long they ruled for. After being scored, we decide whether they get to party it out in the Kremlin or get sent straight to the Gulag. Those who make it to the Kremlin will need to duke it out for the position of best Russian ruler. You can find us on any podcast host as Tsar Power, on Twitter at Tsar Power Pod, and on Facebook as Tsar Power. That's Tsar spelled T-S-A-R. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. And if you hear a knock on your door, beware. The KGB is coming to make your stay a bit more permanent. Welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 115, Stephen the Sixth. Yes, we're here. This is the one. This is the one that people want. We have made it. This is that crazy Stephen that comes up when you're looking for any Pope Stephen. So get ready. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't think I have been. No. This whole time. I don't think you'll ever be ready for Stephen, but here we are. We're going to do it anyways. And just before we get into it, just a final note we should make note of, because as with all Stevens from Pope-elect Stephen onwards, he is sometimes listed as Stephen the Sixth or Seventh. But this is the actual Sixth. This is the man. This is the crazy man. So we're going to do it. Stephen was born in Rome. And his father was a priest called John. We're seeing a lot of clerical lineage as of late with our popes. A lot of priestly fathers. So likely, as the result of having a priestly father, Stephen was raised in some capacity in the church. And at some point, he would have been ordained as a deacon, subdeacon, or priest. There's no real record. We're not sure which one. Then... Around 891, early in the pontificate of Pope Formosus, Stephen was made the Bishop of Ananyi. Now, importantly, this was likely against Stephen's will, if we're to take the suggestions of historians like Horace K. Mann. So why might it be against his will? Remember, even though we've now had two bishops that have been elected to be Pope, This was still not considered the done thing. You were not supposed to ever leave your bishopric once you were consecrated to it. And so making a cleric into a bishop is sort of effectively removing them from consideration to be pope. And we're going to start seeing this turning into a common practice where clerics who are viewed as a threat to the current pope are being made bishops elsewhere to remove them from the electing curia and tanking their own opportunity to be pope. Ah, yes, because you cannot be 
the bishop of some place and also be the bishop of Rome. No bigamous bishops up in here. Which is strange because every one of our bishops now is a bishop somewhere else or was, you know, like it's not, this, this doesn't stick. No, it definitely does not stick. And this is where we're going to start seeing why this doesn't stick. Because right now, if you are a threat to the current pope, he's going to make you a bishop and just get rid of you. And if anybody's going to make use of this practice, it's definitely going to be Formosus, right? He, he is this very politically minded man. And this is something to keep in mind, because if it is true that Stephen is made a bishop against his will, he's already not on the best footing with Formosus. And being forced into a bishopric is going to, well, make things a lot worse. And this issue about bishoprics is going to play a major, major role later. So hang on to that. Although, as we see with Stephen's election to the papacy right after the death or murder of Boniface VI, Stephen gave good reason for Formosus to see him as a threat when he was pope, because they are on opposing sides of the current imperial conflict. We've already covered that Formosus supported and crowned Arnulf as emperor, and Boniface had continued that same policy, but Stephen was on the other side. He was part of the Spoleton faction, supporting the son of the deposed guy of Spoleto, Lambert, who'd also been crowned by Formosus before his father's deposition. So this is why Stephen is elected to be the next pope when Boniface is out of the picture. The Spoleton nobles seized their opportunity, created by Arnulf's failing health, to place a candidate that they could control on the papal throne. And when we say failing health, let's not forget that Arnulf had a stroke that caused paralysis, but he also ended up with like a crazy infection of lice in his eyelid that then spread over his- What? (laughs) Yeah, so- I'm sorry, eyelid? Eyelid. Not even a- just like- not even his eyelashes, his lid. Lid. The eyelid. There's no hair there. (laughs) <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting because the source we have for this is Leopold of Cremona, and he sort of describes them as being like wormy, licey things. So we're not 100% sure that they were lice lice, or they oh, could no, have they been- they might have just been maggots. Yeah, so eyelid, and then that spreads across his whole body. So um, he's not in any position to come back swinging at this point. Scabies. Right? Aren't scabies little wormies? They could be. I mean, maybe he had scabies. Leapranz seems to think it was lice, so we're going to use that terminology, but eyelids. Ugh. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) This episode's going to be full of this kind of nonsense. But as Pope, even if Arnulf is over there languishing, both paralyzed and infected in his eyelids, Pope Stephen doesn't feel secure. Arnulf's supporters still maintained a very strong presence in Rome, and if the Spolatans could quickly do away with one pope to put a man in the place to support their aims, then it's not that hard to think that the Germanic faction could do that to him as well. And in particular, Stephen was concerned about the fact that he has a previous diocese, and whether that's going to come back to haunt him. 
he was already a consecrated bishop and therefore should be ineligible for the papacy. Even his allies, who had made him pope in this instance, had criticized and condemned Formosus for being a bishop before becoming pope. So he had to do something to make that go away. What's more, Stephen was also under pressure from Lambert and his mother, Egeltrude, who, of course, wanted the coronation of Arnulf to be invalidated and Lambert to be recognized as the sole and rightful Holy Roman Emperor. So they are pressuring him to undermine Formosus' later consecration of Arnulf by any means necessary. Ugh. Medieval drama. Medieval drama, yes, very much. He's feeling the pressure. It's an HBO show. God, it really should be an HBO show. But we'll come back to that, because there are points to make there. But all of this medieval drama seems to have gotten to Stephen. And in his frantic desire to annul all of the problems that Formosus had created for him, he came up with a plan. A cunning plan. Except not cunning at all and just entirely insane. So this is, of course, the Cadaver Synod. Da, 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 da. We're going to have to put some sound effects here. Find something that sounds really horrifying. <laughs> do, 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 do. I'm thinking of uh, Why not just, like, the Corpse Bride song like... with bone jangles and he goes do, 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 with the bones. <laughs> Great. So the Cadaver Synod... Or in Latin, known as the Synodus Horrenda, is here. We gotta dig him up. We're gonna go through it. So, in January 897, nine months after the death of Pope Formosus. Oh, that's right. The other, the other pope was only pope for like yes, fourteen f- days. Yeah, fifteen I days. Was like, Wait, we had a whole other pope in there. We did. No, it's not been that long. Nope, he's been, but he has been dead at this point. For nine months. So, nine months after the death of Pope Formosus, Pope Stephen exhumed his corpse, dressed the corpse in papal vestments, and propped him up on a throne in the Lateran Basilica to put him on trial in front of a horrified synod of clergymen. Stephen charged the corpse with a number of crimes, including... All of the revived charges that had been issued against Formosus by Pope John VIII. The charges included perjury, violation of canon laws, performing the duties of a bishop at the time he was deposed, arcane offenses, quote unquote, and worst of all, holding a bigamous diocese. He had transferred from the bishopric of Porto to that of Rome, and how dare he? This is where we need the Totalis Rankium irony gong right here. Uh-huh. But Stephen was not an unreasonable man, at least in his own mind. So he felt that, of course, Formosus deserved a, a defense who could speak for him since he was, you know, dead and unable to do so. So in his boundless generosity, Stephen appointed a deacon, instructing him that he was now Formosus' legal representative and must answer 
for all of the charges. Some sources say that this deacon was little more than a teenager, and he was literally made to answer the charges by imitating Formosus's voice to deny the charges that Stephen hurled, or answer when Stephen screamed interrogations at him about why he usurped the papacy. Quoting Leotprand of Cremona, he was said to have demanded, When you were Bishop of Porto, why did you usurp the universal Roman see in a spirit of ambition? Which apparently the answer was, because I was evil. So, indeed. I mean, can you imagine? Dead body can't talk. No, but this poor teenage boy has to stand behind him and go, I'm evil. I'm guilty. I'm evil. (laughs) I did it. I'm so bad. Are you a terrible pope? Evil. And indeed, (laughs) Stephen judged Formosus evil and guilty. Did they like, uh, did they coach this kid just, just answer evil? Or is this kid going up and having to improvise this? It feels very much on the spot. It's like, hey, you, young boy, cleric, come here. This is what you're doing today. After they've already dragged this dressed up corpse into the room. This poor, <laughs> poor child. Well, he he failed to defend his his posthumous client because, yes, Stephen has now declared that Formosus is guilty of all of the crimes. So he declares Formosus' papacy invalid, all of his ordinations annulled. Remember that one? That's a big one. How many? So many. And a damnatio memoriae on his memory. It'd be really funny if Stephen was one of those. Ah, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you got it in one. <laughs> we'll the come, irony. We're going to come back to that. You can't be Pope if you just kicked yourself out, sir. Well, he can't be Bishop if he was appointed mm. Bishop by Formosus. Ah, you see what he's done there. <laughs> oh, but Bishop of Rome... Bishop of Anagni, his first appointment, the one against his I will. S- I see. Yeah. Uh, this, this. <laughs> All of this is literally for that point. But he's not done yet, because he then orders that the rotting corpse be stripped of the papal vestments that, remember, he put on the corpse and buried. Or no, when he got him out. Yeah, yeah. Got him out, put him in papal vestments. Now he's like, take those off of him. He doesn't deserve them dresses the corpse in layman's clothes. Then he orders that the three fingers used in the papal benediction be cut off and the body be reburied in a poor commoner's grave away from St. Peter's. This is the most petty nonsense. Oh, he's not done because he decides that that's not enough. Oh, not petty enough. No, not at all, because shortly after the reburial of the body, Stephen changes his mind, and he decides that a common grave was too good for this criminal who had presumed to uncanonically hold the apostolic see. So the body was dug up again and hurled into the Tiber River. Yeah. All right. Peak petty. Quite petty. So with that done, Stephen carried out precisely what he declared and forced any cleric that had been ordained by Formosus to resign from their positions as their appointments were no longer valid. And, and as we said, this 
also conveniently invalidates Formosus having consecrated Stephen as the Bishop of Ananyi. So now he's essentially secure as Pope. He's no longer a bigamous bishop and no longer guilty of the same crime he just condemned Formosus for. I'm so tired. <laughs> right? This is his idea of wrapping everything up in a neat little package. Trash. Yeah. It's a trash bag. <laughs> it is a trash bag on fire. Okay. Because he's like, yes, now I'm secure. Now I'm safe. I can just go about my popin. But the clerics of Rome had just witnessed a hysterical maniac filled with unbridled hatred just conduct trial on a corpse. With a teenage boy going, I'm evil. Exactly. They're not feeling very secure about Stephen, even though he's kicking his feet up and relaxing now that he's had all of his genius plan. <laughs> I think the Pope's unhinged. <laughs> and they're not the only ones, because the people of Rome are totally and utterly scandalized. Right? This is so far beyond the scope of anything that's happened before in the papacy. Man. And side note, before we get into all of that, we should add very shortly after the, the hurling of the body in the Tiber, Formosus's body was actually recovered. It was either washed up on the banks of the Tiber or fished out by some monks who then gave it a quiet burial on the riverbanks because they were terrified of being associated with the whole debacle. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, we have to do this at night, because if we're caught, we're going to be the next ones in the river. There's even a story of Formosus appearing to the monks in a vision, requesting that they bury his body, which was again done quickly and quietly. And this quote comes from Auxilius. Quote, the same night that the body of Formosus was thrown into the Tiber, a terrible storm broke over the city. The Tiber, as usual, was soon in a flood. Carried along by the rushing river, the corpse was freed from the weights that kept it down. Yes, they tied weights to him like a actual mafia crime boss situation. It is Italy. The corpse was freed from the weights which kept it down and finally thrown up onto the bank near the church of St. Acontius at Porto. Three days after this, Formosus appeared to a certain monk in a vision and bade him go and bury his dead body, which had been cast upon the shore. Miracles. The monk did as he bid, but in fear, buried the body secretly. We also know that the body was later exhumed and reinterred in St. Peter's by Pope Theodore II. So, you know, people who are making jokes right now about the Tiber River, that it's, it's drying up and we're, we're uncovering all these new Roman artifacts. Formosus isn't there anymore. No. He's not going to make an appearance. But back to Stephen. Because, you know, everyone is a little bit worried about the Pope being unhinged. And things are about to get worse. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very much so. Because quite soon after the conclusion of the Cadaver Synod, the Lateran Basilica collapsed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Just like straight up collapsed. And as you can imagine, this further incensed the Roman people who were already fairly shocked by Stephen's conduct. And this started to convince them that, yes, the Cadaver Synod was an affront to God. Now, 
This sent me down a rabbit hole that led to some excellent discussion and support from a number of medieval academics on Twitter. So I want to talk about this for a second. When I first read about the collapse of the Lateran Basilica, it is described as happening during a major earthquake. So I consulted a source that we've used quite a bit, the Beyond the Damage Threshold, Historic Earthquakes of Rome by Paolo A.C. Galli and Diego Molin. They have no mention of an earthquake in 897 at all. But other sources continue to mention an earthquake, so I started to dig in this a little deeper. The collapse of the Lateran is very important, and we do know for absolute certain that it goes down in this time. So it was important to find out why. And what I found, with much wonderful help, is that the main primary sources of the time don't mention an earthquake, but all do mention the collapse of the Lateran, which suggests that it was ready to collapse on its own. Quoting the Annales Alemanici, quote, Negligently built with spoils from earlier edifices, as were the other churches of the time of Constantine, the basilica had long since begun to show signs of decay. The walls of the naves rested on columns of various kinds of marble, differing in height and strength. The yielding under the pressure of the roof bulged outward so far that the ends of the beams of the roof trusses came out of their sockets and the building collapsed. So this is perhaps more ominous. You know, an earthquake destroying buildings might look like God's general anger, but just the Lateran going down on its own? Yeah, like nothing else fell down and just the, the good old basilica. Yeah. And so it looks like a direct hit. It looks like God is pissed at the Pope specifically. Not to mention that the degradation of the Lateran was a strong metaphor for the degradation of prestige and holiness of the papacy because they're putting corpses on trial and it's a whole new low. So this is the final nail in the coffin of public opinion against Stephen. A massive revolt breaks out and Stephen is swiftly deposed by the mob, imprisoned within the Castel Sant'Angelo, and shortly after, Strangled to death. Oh. Whoops. It's actually a little bit unclear who, who did the killing in the end, because there is an equally valid argument that it's Arnulf's faction, you know, looking to regain the upper hand in all of this chaos. Or if it's Stephen's own party, the Spilatans, who wanted to get rid of the absolutely insane embarrassment they had just installed. By this point, everyone was just like, nope, we got to get rid of this man. So someone <laughs> did the deed. Someone did a strangle. Yeah. No one's going to admit to it. No. Everyone went, ah, oh, well, that's fortunate. Yeah, exactly. No one is particularly upset about it. But despite all this, he was still buried in the portico of St. Peter's. Although it's, it's not certain whether that happened right away. It's possible that the Pope who erected his epitaph, Pope Sergius III, might have also been the one to transfer his remains, which means he may not have been moved into St. Peter's for at least seven years. Okay. Either way, unfortunately, his tomb was destroyed for new St. Peter's, but the epitaph was preserved, and it's 
interestingly politically charged as Sergius III <laughs> definitely was of the same faction of Stephen. So it's, it's wildly okay. supportive of this crazy man. So it says, and I'm going to quote it directly because it sounds a little weird. Quote, here the members of Pope Stephen called the sixth are enclosed in a shrine for he was sixth in the order of fathers. He first rejected the baseness of the proud Formosus who usurped the high apostolic see. Then he set up a council and presided as pastor and by law gave rights to the servants who had been abused. And though this father struggled for holy doctrine, he was seized from his throne and struck down in the depths of despair. Then in the lowest part of prison, he was dishonored, bound with chains and in a small cell strangled. Ten years later, Pope Sergius celebrated his sacred funeral rites here. So Sergius is on board. I'd be like, are you okay, Sergius? Sergius is not okay. <laughs> when we get there. <laughs> that's see, It seems like he's not okay if he's burying a man that's like ten years dead and nobody liked. <laughs> Is that your dad? What's going on here? Well, for future sizzle, uh, Sergius III is the actual start of the pornocracy. So Sergius is not okay. He's not all right. All right. He's got he's got some feels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that, after all this time, is Pope Stephen VI and the Cadaver Synod. And that is that is literally his whole papacy. So... On that note, it is time to rate this man. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, most of it's going to be like, he didn't do He some up. Correct. So, <laughs> let's do it. Papatum infallium. So, we're going to have to talk about the cadaver synod in pretty much every category. So, I've tried to break it down so we're not repeating ourselves too much. Let's talk about Papatum and Phallium, because this event absolutely destroyed the reputation of the papacy. Credibility, and then it messed up a bunch of, like, yeah. clerical orders. For sure. Prestige, gone. Credibility, gone. The apostolic successor of Peter is digging up bodies for show. It destroys the faith and loyalty of the people of Rome and what they had for the Pope. It completely annihilates any sense of moral authority that we've that the popes have relied on so heavily. Are we allowed to give him a negative point? I mean, if anybody was ever going to get a negative point, it would be him. And on top of all of that, it sets an extremely bad precedent that becomes pattern. And I'm going to quote Bartolomeo Platina here. This proved a great controversy and a very ill example, for the succeeding popes made it almost a constant custom either to break or abrogate the acts of their predecessors, which was certainly far different from the practice of any of these good popes whose lives we have written. So any sense of continuity from one pope to another is broken, and this is going to create a massive power struggle between popes who supported Formosus and popes who supported Stephen for, like, a long time. And they're all going to be constantly undoing one another. 
you got really mad about this last episode, but this yeah, this and is this springboard. Is just gonna keep going on. Yeah. So this is like the zeroiest zero <laughs> we can ever give. He really deserves like a negative five. He does. He deserves so many negatives. But this is, I'm going to literally write in my notes, the zeroiest zero. There. The most zero. The most, this is like the big, bold, colored in zero. <laughs> and now, by comparison purpose, Fructus Prohibitum. Oh, well, now he gets like a 10. Oh, he gets like a full-on 20, 10 from each of us for sure. This mm -hmm. is one of the most famous scandals in the whole of church history, if not all of European history or world history. He dug up a corpse. He put it on trial. He screamed at it. He mutilated it. He desecrated it. It's a full-on 20. Yeah, it's a, it's a journey. <laughs> this is where he's getting all of his points. I'm also going to add here that given that this is one of the most major events in history, it might seem odd that I haven't included a quote of a source retelling this event, but that's because we're going to do a whole bonus episode covering all of the various retellings of this event, from the historical accounts to modern takes, plays, movies, and the cadaver synod musical. Yeah. And we're going to rank them. So there's... there's no. <laughs> oh, yes. We don't wanna, why do we have to rank everything? Why do I have to have an opinion? We're just going to award some points. We'll give them scores and see how we feel about all of these renditions. Because trust me, the Cadaver Synod musical, it, it needs to get some points somewhere. <laughs> Did we actually find a copy? I have, I have a good chunk of it. So, yeah. A good chunk? Yeah. All right. I'm I'm just sad that, like, they didn't keep it for posterity and also us. Well, I did end up talking to the producer of the show who said he was going to put me in touch with the writer of the show and he was going to see if he could track down a full copy for us. I haven't heard back since, but I should follow up. Yeah. So he gets a 20, a full 20 in Fructus Prohibitum. Seculari Impactum. This is going to be... Bad. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad because he's brought absolutely no stability in the conflict between Arnulf and Lambert over the title of emperor. He's made every situation so much worse. Everyone is horrified. There are revolts in the streets. This is a zero across the board. Also a negative. <laughs> no. It, it, sh it should be a negative. However, I will just acknowledge in this segment... He is one of the reasons we have a podcast. Yeah. Demon the Sixth and the Cadaver Synod is a story we've wanted to tell forever. This is why we do what we do. So he has a secular impact on us. Not good enough. <laughs> no, you don't want to give him any points for this. No points. Okay, but at least we've acknowledged it. <laughs> it exists. So <laughs> there's that. Fossium Sanctus. Now... We're going to look at a very um, unhinged man. Let's see if his if his photo represents that. Is he going to look like an unhinged man or is he going to be an, a 30-year-old, 90-year-old man? He's not a 30-year-old, 90-year-old man. <laughs> he definitely looks grumpy, but I don't know if it's grumpy enough. So here you go. Um, first of all, yeah. 
<laughs> How do you blink for a painting? <laughs> I think he just didn't deem to open his eyes. He's like, no, paint me this way. I don't care. I'm angry. He's trying to look like contemplative over into the corner or something. But it just looks bratty, doesn't it? It looks so bratty. <laughs> My mom would call this a pouty woo-woo. <laughs> This is like the absolute, like when you're getting like your kids pictures from school (laughs) picture day and you get this and you're like. (laughs) Now I have to pay for retakes. Yeah, for sure. It's not great. Um, I don't think there's enough personality, but it definitely has personality, which is like very bratty. I'm trying to figure out if he, yeah, I think he's trying to look aloof and like. You know, like he's got some sort of authority, but he does just look like a petulant child. I figured it out. He's going for dignity. Mm, He has none. It's not, yeah, it's (laughs) not working at all. Can't even fake it. Can't fake that dignity. So how are we going to rate the failed dignity? I'm going to give him like a two. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I can't give him any more than that. I will match your two and he will get a one. But we do have other images, so I will send you the bad artist. Wow, he looks so sad. So sad in that one, which is, I mean, it's neither here nor there. It doesn't do anything. And then the Pope-a-day Tumblr has one that I think much more represents what I want to see of an image of Stephen VI. So there it is. (laughs) Oh my god. That is the no chill man that I was looking for. <laughs> that is that is amazing. I love it. Just pointing into the middle distance, <laughs> looking like he's going to absolutely fight somebody. You're gonna dig up a body. That's <laughs> what he's gonna do. Alright, so Tempest Pontificus. May 22nd, 896 to August 897. One year-ish and a score of 0.25. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. No. (laughs) Well, I would hope not. Just just no. (laughs) Could you imagine? He would be the patron saint of no chill for sure. But. No. What? He wouldn't be the patron saint of, like, desecrating corpses. Does that, does that need a patron? Do we? You know what? It should not have a patron saint. But if anyone was going to be the patron saint of it, it is this horrible man. It's it's true. It's true. And we do have a patron saint of murderers in St. Julian the Hospitaller. So, I mean, yeah, he could, he could go in that category. But no, he he is just not going to be a saint. Mm-mm. Which brings us to his total score, which is almost entirely made up of scandal. And it's a 21.25. Gosh. That's, that's what I would expect. That puts him in 54th place, which seems, I mean, you would expect it to be lower, but the scandal is really bolstering him here. So... Sometimes the scandal bolsters people. Exactly. I mean, look at Honorius, for goodness sake. Who has 69 points? Vicious, Sericious, somebody Pope else? Damasus, the lady's ear tickler Damasus. who massacred people during the anti-Pope election. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You wanted to give him a point for every person that he murdered, but that was well beyond our score system. <laughs> he murdered so many people. Yeah. So he and Stephen VI are in good company, which brings me to a very important question because I do not think that the low score reflects the answer to this, which is, is he papally enough, pizzazzy enough, preposterous enough, with an impact enough for a papal bull? The thing is, like, he is not papally enough. He is not pizzazzy enough. But he is so, so awful that, <laughs> yes. yes, we have to give him this papal bull. We absolutely have to give him a paper bull. This is the pope that I want to tell people about. This is the pope people want to hear about. This is the pope that made our podcast. Well, one of them. We're going to get to the Medici popes in time. Don't you worry. But yes. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations, Stephen VI. This is the only thing you will ever be honored with. So that brings us to the end of our episode. And I have some thank yous to make. These are special thank yous to people who helped me track down all of that earthquake sources. So I would like to thank Dr. Rutger Kramer, Marco Capelli, Lori Sardi, Mateus Fafinski, Robert Friedrich, Levi Roach, and Annette Grabowski. You were all very, very helpful. Thank you so very much. And with that... We can say thank you for listening. We finally made it here. We hope you enjoy. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Pontifax is edited by Greg Gassman. You can find his show, Popular History, on all major podcatching platforms. And keep an eye out for his new show, Arexipod Ranking Cardinals, Cardinal Numbers. You can also reach Greg at popularhistory at gmail.com. Get it? It's popular, but with an E, for the Popes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com. And we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifex on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifexwishlist. Or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifexpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm.